0: Welcome back. Uh, We are going to continue our study, Lessons in Obedience, as we look at the book of Esther. We started in the book of Jonah, uh, and then went through um, the book of Ruth, and now we are getting into the book of Esther and seeing uh, how different people interact and uh, obey God's leading, Remembering that in the book of Esther, God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, save for a very minor uh, hint in the fact that Esther asks Mordecai and the Jews of Shushan to fast, and uh, also that she and her maidens fast as they're, she's going in to uh, meet the king. Um, I had a question this week about why I keep saying that, and the answer is because fasting to the Jews always uh, had a part of that was prayer. It wasn't just uh, in today's terms when we hear the word fast or when most of the world hears the word fast they think of it as just abstaining from food. We have uh, intermittent fasting diets where you know people just don't eat during certain times and then they change and then they don't eat but it's not that. It, it has historically been a time of uh, sacrificing something that you enjoy in order to spend time in prayer to God and to seek his face uh, for something that is very needful. And that is what uh, Esther and asks Mordecai and the Jews of Shushan the palace to do and then what she and her maidens do. They uh, removed their uh, royal garments, put on sackcloth and uh, humbled themselves before God. And that's really the only mention of God throughout all of this uh, but we can see God's providence and God's hand in all of it as we look through uh, the Book of Esther. Last week, we saw the Queen Vashti refuse to come uh, to present herself at the king's command. We saw uh, the king's uh, um, wise men, the princes that, that give him counsel, uh, give him counsel against Vashti, saying that she should be removed from the palace, that she should be removed from being queen and. Uh, this pleased the king in his wrath, and the letters were sent out, and uh, Vashti was removed. She's vanished from the palace uh, to be heard of again, no more again. Um, and this sentence, we have to remember, could not be changed. Uh, that once judgment had been passed, it was final. The, the laws of the Medes and the Persians uh, didn't allow for laws to be changed. Uh, that's why, uh, when we continue on, when uh, Haman writes the letters to destroy all the Jews, they can't just send out a letter repealing that. They have to write a letter allowing the Jews to defend themselves. Um, it makes me very thankful as I read through this for our current uh, system, even though it's uh, broken, even though it's uh, struggling, that we can go through a process to repeal un- unjust laws. You know, Roe versus Wade was just repealed um, and that decision was given back to the states instead of the federal level. Uh, so... We can change those laws that can be both a good thing and a bad thing, uh, depending on how we interact with God and how we interact with others um, and what they think, who is in power at the time. But this is also a foreshadowing for us in the fact that uh, at the end, after we talked about it this morning during Sunday school, that after the the tribulation, after the millennial reign, there are two judgment seats. There's the judgment seat of Christ that we learned about on Wednesday night, that's for the believers, uh, where we will be given uh, rewards, crowns for what we've accomplished for Christ here on earth. There's uh, no condemnation. We are going to be uh, saved. We are going to enter into heaven, but uh, we will either gain or lose crowns depending on how we've lived for Christ. But then there's the Great White Throne Judgment, and that is solely for the lost, and the only, uh, the only exit from that judgment seat is to the Lake of Fire and to Hell. So for all eternity, so that judgment is final; it can never be changed. Uh, we can't travel from one to the other. So for Vashti, things are done. Uh, right now, we still have time. We are still. Uh here on earth God has left us here and we have the ability to reach into the, the lost world and to witness to them and help them to get off, as I said this morning, to get off of that train that's bound for that one-way destination. Um so we still have some time, but the time is growing short. And as Vakshtai has been removed, time marches on. The world continues to turn, and that's where we're gonna pick up today. Uh, We're going to pick up in chapter 2 of Esther and we're going to see now that all of this has been carried out, we're going to see the reactions of what is going on in the palace and what is going on in the king. So uh, Esther chapter 2 and verse number 1, the Bible says, After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Let there be fair young virgins sought for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan the palace, to the house of the women, under the custody of Hegei, the king's chamberlain, uh, keeper of the women, and let their things for purification be given them. And let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Ashtai. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Now in Shushan the palace there was a certain Jew, whose name was Mordecai the son of Jair, the son of Shimea, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away with Jeconiah king of of Judah when Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. We're going to stop there, uh, but let's pray. Father God... We do love you, and we thank you so much for your truth. Lord, we know that even though you are not mentioned here, that your hand is upon this whole book, that your fingerprints are seen throughout, we know that you orchestrated all of this, and you orchestrated it it all for the good of your people. Lord, we know in our lives that the good times, the bad times, everything that happens, happens for a reason. It happens to us because it's part of your plan. We know that all things work together for good to them that know the Lord and to them that love the Lord and to them that are called according to His purpose. So God, I pray that you would help us uh, as we look at Esther, as we look at your provision and your guidance, that we would see it in our lives as well and that we would uh, grow ever more faithful to you. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 2 opens with a different king. Uh, it's still King Ahasuerus. I'm not saying that. But he's in a different mindset. In chapter one, King Ahasuerus was uh, full of pride and ego. He was having a uh, feast that lasted a uh, six months and then uh, drinking and commanding that his queen be brought to, in pride, show her off because she was so beautiful. And then he turned to a wrathful king because Vashti refused to, to answer his command. And in his wrath, in his haste, he made a decree and removed her from being queen. And now as chapter 2 starts, it says, After these things, when the king's wrath had appeased, that he remembered Vashti. We know that some time has passed and we know that his wrath is no longer there. And I believe that at this point in his life, he is looking back, not just with memories, but he is looking back down, depressed, regretting what he has done, regretting that he had removed his queen even though she had been disobedient. We don't know how much time has passed. We know that in uh, verse number 16, we didn't get to that today, but in verse number 16 it says that Esther was taken into the king's palace in the tenth month of the seventh year of his reign. We know that he had the parties the feast in the third year of his reign which is when Vashti was removed so we assume that at this point there's been about four years that have passed secular historians would say that he has gone off to war that the that we talked about it a little bit that that first uh, six-month feast was really a planning session for his next conquering expedition and secular historians would believe that he has gone off to war and he has fought this battle that he spent six months planning and he's come back defeated. Uh, he didn't lose any territory, but he's come back without what he had gone to accomplish. And because of this, he is in a depressed state and remembering and remorseful of what his, he has put his queen through, uh, what he's put himself through. And this this is really a grieving king as we see this. He is noticeably different. His servants notice that there's something different about him and they begin to want to cheer him up. They remind him that part of the decree was that someone should replace Vashti. So the Bible doesn't tell us that... uh, or (coughs) Sorry. The Bible doesn't tell us for sure what the king's exact state of mind is at this point. It just alludes to the servants seeing something that needs to change. In verse number two, then the king's servants that ministered unto him, said, then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, let there be fair young virgins sought for the king. Let there be someone sought so that that void can be filled. And I can speak from personal experience, the great void that is that is be, that enters you when when uh, your spouse is gone, when, when someone that you've spent your life with is not there anymore. And even though the king in this place was not uh, necessarily the most faithful, he was not necessarily, it's not like he didn't have uh, a whole other harem of concubines and people that he could spend his time with, but we know there was something special about Vashti. And The Bible, again, doesn't go into all of this, but it gives us some hints. As we look at verse number 17, again, that we didn't get to today, but it says, And the king loved Esther above all the women. If the king could have that much love for Esther, why would it be a far stretch that he had that much love for Vashti? We know that he was very proud of her beauty. We know uh, that he desired her. So why would it be a stretch to say that uh, that he didn't love her? That he's not actually feeling some grief right now. But they're trying to now fulfill the decree of the king. They're going and they're going to go and begin to search for the fair young virgins. But isn't it just like the world at this point to say, just replace her? Not to say to reconcile or repair, but to replace. As we, uh, uh, it's interesting as we were listening to Brother Moore yesterday. He was giving us some of his testimony. Uh, he got saved when he was in his early twenties. Uh, he was living in Oklahoma. His wife was living in Illinois. Um, they had been separated. They he had had a violent temper, and uh, she had left him. And uh, he actually had traveled to Illinois because she invited him to witness her being baptized. And during that service, uh, he made a comment that he was such a—I don't—how did he put it—such um, a worthless man, or to something to that effect. That as she was walking down the steps to the basement of the church, his own wife, who at this point they had a nine-month-old daughter, she fell down the stairs, and he didn't even get up to check on her. Uh, this is the point where their relationship was. Yet as he witnessed her be baptized and as he sat through the service because the preacher was smart and baptized at the beginning of the service and then he preached the message on baptism and what it pictures and preached the message on salvation and the cross as he sat in that service, God worked on his heart and he went forward and he got saved. And God began to burden them that they shouldn't split, that they should reconcile, that they should put things back together. But the world today says, if you're not happy, get rid of it and get something else. That was never God's intent. I understand here, the king is not a believer. Uh, The king is not someone who would ever bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ or to, to the God of creation. But that doesn't mean that this truth is any less valid. When Christ died, he didn't die for those that would be saved. He died for all. When God created the world, he created the world and all that was in it. It still belongs to him, whether we know it or not. Whether whether the saved realize it or not, the laws that God has created are still their laws. They should still be abiding by them. And when God created man, he created them man and woman, and he gave them in marriage one to another, and created took two and made one for all eternity. Matthew... I'm a- try and prove this point a little bit Matthew chapter 5 Christ here is speaking to the Pharisees the religious leaders the people that studied the word of God and, and sought God and everything they did but they were seeking the wrong Lord Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 31 It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. This is Moses in the law gave permission for divorce. Verse number 32, But I say, Christ, the Son of God, I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Skip ahead, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered, this is Christ, and he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he, made, that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? He said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Therefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 2. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So when they are no more twain but one flesh... What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. God from the beginning created us as men to seek a woman, to join her, to make her our wife, and to be with her forever. For as long as we walked this earth, the king had in his wrath put her away, removed Vashti, and his worldly servants, just said, simply replace her. It's sad that many Christ-professing believers today feel the same way as these ungodly men in the book of Esther. It's sad that The men of today are not willing to put in the effort it takes to work through the hard things in life. As Brother Maury was giving us his testimony, uh, he didn't say that once God laid it on their hearts to get back together that it was all roses and dreams. It was still hard. There was still a lot of work that had to be done in both of their lives. I look at my grandparents. My grandparents have been completely devoted to each other for over sixty years. My grandmother, who just had uh, a surgery, they went in through an artery in her leg and put a took a scope in and put a piece of radiation inside a tumor in her liver on Wednesday. she's not supposed to bend over uh, she's not there's a whole list of things that she's not supposed to do yet yeah, she still gets up every morning. <laughs> Uh, I know this is on record, but she changes my grandpa's diaper, cleans him up just like he was a baby, changes his catheter, or empties his catheter out, Gets him physically gets him dressed. And my grandpa is not a small man. He's lost a lot of weight, but he's still well over 200 pounds. But she physically gets him dressed, gets him out of bed, cooks his breakfast every morning. If anybody had an excuse to lay out, to have somebody else do it, it would be my grandmother. Yet, we today just simply throw it away. Where's the disconnect? The king had begun to regret his decision with Vashti, and because of this, he sought the comfort of another. This is yet another example of how he couldn't possibly be an example of God. Because God would never do that. But in any case, the search begins. The search for a new queen has begun. Not just any woman would do. There are a list of criteria. She had to be fair. She had to be young. She had to be a virgin. This was the first beauty pageant ever held. I heard a a news article about a beauty pageant this last week. If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it later, but it is just sickening. But if any of the women didn't meet all of these criteria, they were excluded. If they were fair but they were old, they were excluded. If they were young but they were ugly, they were excluded. What, what, are we, what are we boiling our life down to? This is like going to the sale barn to buy cattle. Young men, I know none of you are at a point where you're ready to even think about dating. And I'm so very thankful for that. I, I don't have the money to pay anybody to date my boys. I don't have enough money for that yet. I'm still saving but when you do get to that point don't have this list be more focused on the character than the appearance I mean honestly and young ladies too if Rachel was just focused on my appearance, on my appearance we would have never ever met Amen <laughs> We really wouldn't have. (laughs) And she'll tell you, if she was just focused on the fact that I was a single dad with three children, we would have never met. If she hadn't looked past the appearance to see the story, to see the truth, she would have never considered me. I think she regrets it often that she did (laughs) consider me. Amen. And I completely understand. (laughs) I completely understand. <laughs> but the thing is this, is, this is what the world has boiled us down to. This is why when you walk through the grocery store, all you see is self-help, how to look better, how to, how to lose weight. how to. This is what you should wear to attract a man. This is what the women of our generations, the women of our world have been boiled down to. is. Do they look good? Are they young? Do they match this criteria? We were not all made the same. As Brother Jesse loves to say, if we were all the same, life would be boring. But this, there was a criteria, and then there was a search area. The search area was all the provinces of the king all 127 of them. Now imagine if they took all of the young women that met this criteria from all 127 provinces, imagine how many people that is. That's a lot. But at least you can say for the king he was thorough. And then they had to go through as they're they're brought in, they're, they're taken from their homes and brought before the king, some willingly, some unwillingly, they had to go through a year-long purification process. A year long. Now, we can speculate all we want about the reason for this, and, and, but it boils down to the Gentile kings at this time, like Pharaoh, like, like all of the others, thought that they were the pinnacle of men. Most of them thought that they were gods. And not just any peasant was worthy of their company. Yet another example of why this king resembles Satan more than he does God. God, when he came to this earth, when Christ came to this earth, He didn't go to the royalty. He didn't go to the Pharisees. He hated the Pharisees. No, he went to the least of society. He went to the lepers. He went to the diseased. And he made them clean. He sat to eat with publicans and sinners. He let harlots wash his feet. And anoint him for his burial. King Ahasuerus could never be a picture of God the creator of the world. We see in all of this search we are introduced now in verse number five to a certain Jew named Mordecai. Mordecai it's interesting here that they give his lineage, and I'm not exactly sure why, but we see uh, some some very interesting names. We know that Mordecai was the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Now, we know another Kish. We find him in 1 Samuel 9.3. Go back with me to 1 Samuel 9.3. First Samuel 9, 3, and the Bible says, In the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Take now one of the, the servants with thee, and arise, go seek the asses. If you would continue on in 1 Samuel, you would read the story of how Saul, seeking the asses of his father, goes to seek Samuel. And how God tells Samuel to anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. Remember that Samuel, that Saul was head and shoulders above all of Israel. He was tall, he was rugged. He was what the people wanted as king, but his father was Kish. Now Saul was anointed as king in 1060 B.C. We are about 580 B.C. at this point. There's been about 400 years between these two events. It's still possible that this Kish is the great-grandfather of Mordecai. Men in those days routinely lived longer than they do today. Joshua lived to be 110. Moses lived past 100. Abraham, I think, was 130. Men lived much longer. So it is still very possible that Mordecai is a descendant of Kish, is a descendant of that royal line of the first king of Israel. And Esther, as his cousin, would be in that line as well. We do know for sure that Mordecai was carried away during the invasion of Nebuchadnezzar. Excuse me. When Daniel was carried away, when, when uh, Mishael, and, uh, um, I want to say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I also want to say it's uh, Mishael, Azariah, what's Shadrach's, anyway, his Jewish name. I can't remember his Jewish name. Anyway, when they were carried away. And he has a cousin named Esther. Again, I don't know why God has put all of this in here, but if he's put it in here, it's important. We know that Mordecai brought up Hadassah, who is Esther, when her parents were killed, were died or were killed. We don't know that they were killed, but we know that they were both gone, that he took her in and brought her up as his own daughter, that she is uh, the daughter of his uncle, which makes her his cousin. And we're not told of any other family of Mordecai or Esther. We know at this point that they're Jews. Living in the Palace, we know from uh, our overview a couple of weeks ago, that this is a time when the kings looked very favorably on the Jews. Uh, Cyrus had allowed the Jews to go back and begin to build uh, the temple. Um, Darius was getting ready to, or uh, not Darius, but uh, Xerxes was getting ready to, Artaxerxes was getting ready to go and allow uh, Nehemiah to go back and begin to build the walls of Jerusalem. The Jews had been allowed to go back to the land, yet Mordecai and Esther were still in Shushan the Palace. They were still very, very far away from the land. We're going to look at this thought a little bit tonight, too, but this is a foreshadowing of just how much Israel had gotten comfortable. We know when. Uh, Israel moved, went into Egypt when Joseph was sold into captivity and then he rose to be the second in command over all Egypt. We know about the, the famine in the land and his brothers come to buy grain and they find out it's Joseph and Joseph invites them all to Egypt to save them from the famine. We know that, that God allowed them to go in order to be saved. That God sent Joseph ahead. But they were only supposed to be there for a short time. And instead they stayed for 400 years. They stayed until there was a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. And then they were taken into bondage. And then we know that Moses was was brought in, was, was born and was raised up to be a deliverer and to bring Israel out of Egypt and they went. But then as soon as they got into the wilderness, they wanted to turn back. They had grown comfortable with being in bondage. Mordecai and Esther have grown comfortable in Shushan. They have a an illusion of being free. And we're going to see this as we continue through the book and see how it plays out, but uh, they they are not free. And they are at this point farther away from God than anyone has ever been. In verse number eight, the Bible says, So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together in the Shushan the palace to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also into the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. Now it doesn't tell us Whether Esther went willingly or whether she went, she was forced or whether she just went in obedience to Mordecai. But this opportunity, this thing that Esther and Mordecai are doing, just flies in the face of everything that God had for them, that God had told them. Remember, God had told Israel not to intermix, not not to give their daughters to the children of the land and not to take the daughters of the children of the land for their sons. God had told Israel to destroy all of them. He had told Saul to destroy the Amalekites. And Saul refused. Saul kept them alive. And now, fast forward all of these years later, and Mordecai and Esther are in, captivity under the fifth or sixth king in a row and they're so comfortable that they decide to stay and not go back to the homeland that God had promised them they decide that Esther should go in and present herself to the king to possibly become queen now we know that this was not God's plan We know that this is not the way it was supposed to work. But we also know that God has given us a free will. He's given us choices. And he's allowed us to make our own choices. And in our own choices, he's worked to still do good things. It wasn't God's will for King Ahasuerus to put Vashti away. But God is going to allow Esther to come in and be queen to save her people. It wasn't God's will that Esther should marry the king. He's a Gentile. He's, not, he's a non-believer. He's a pagan. But God is going to allow it in order to save Israel. Go back to Genesis. It wasn't God's will that Adam and Eve should eat the fruit of the garden. But he allowed them to make the choice To be disobedient. And then he provided for them as he removed them from the garden. It wasn't, it was a punishment, but it wasn't only a punishment. He removed them from the tree of life so that they wouldn't have to live for eternity in that sin. And he provided a way for all of us to not have to live in eternity in our sin. But we still have to make a choice. We still have to make a choice today. We're going to see God provide and and work through all of this in Esther's life. Understanding that it was not the way it was supposed to be. But God is still going to work. And I pray that we can look at our own lives and see the points where we've failed God, where we've disobeyed God where we've walked away and made those choices that are not uh, the right ones but we can also see how God has provided and blessed and and grown us because of those choices